Hi everyone, welcome to the Pama Podcast. Uh, I'm Dave Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show. Um, I'm really excited about today's show. Um, somebody who is a friend of mine, somebody who has been my coach, uh, somebody who I have loved uh, for a long time, and yeah, um, I'm excited to have her on the show. Welcome, Jamie Lee Finch. This is really surreal, by the way, because we've been doing coaching calls for like four months and uh, on Skype and video call, and it's always been Jamie kind of leading the conversation and interviewing me, <laughs> and now I'm doing the same, and it's it's surreal because first we've become friends, and second it's just not happened this way before. So <laughs> uh, I really like I feel like I got emotional because I. Like, we've taught in our coaching context, we've talked about the areas and spaces where you feel like you're in your power, like with, like, writing and with this podcast, but I've never seen it. Like, I've never been a part of it from this vantage point, and it it feels, it feels emotional. <laughs> it feels, like, really emotional to see you, like, in your zone and doing what all the stuff that you and I have talked about for months about, like, what you know that you're here for. It just feels really sacred to not just because we're on Skype, so I can literally see you doing it too. So when you like snapped into like podcast shows, I was like, oh my god, there he is! <laughs> oh, that's great. This is like an emotional experience. Yeah, <laughs> I feel it. I feel it too. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. We're both highly sensitive people, so we're both kind of. <laughs> yeah. We're bound to be feeling uh, being in tune a lot of the same things. Um, yeah. If you're not familiar with Jamie's work, Jamie uh, does a lot of work around our relationship with our bodies and embodiment and um, has also written a book as well about kind of faith, leaving toxic religion as well. Uh, and she is, uh, yeah, just really incredible. So um, we've got a lot to talk about today. I'm, I'm absolutely certain some of the work that we've done will come up as well. Mm -hmm. So... Um, and I don't mind that because I'm quite vulnerable on this show anyway. So, yeah, tell us a bit of your story and and the work you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so my, I mean, you summed it up really well. My story, at least my kind of background and my background, how my background contributed to the work I do now, is that I started out, um, well, I was born into a family that was, uh, religious in a specific way, um, white evangelical Christianity in the United States. Um, and that determined a lot about the things I was told and taught to believe about myself and other people, and particularly my body and other people's bodies and just like bodies in general. Now, obviously, I wouldn't have known to describe it that way at the time. It was just that I was told, oh, you're born with sin in your flesh, or sex is something that is that and dirty and is off the table until until you're in a sacred covenant and then it's not that and dirty anymore. I don't know. That's a weird mm. one. But a lot yeah. of specific things <laughs> that I was taught about my, not even, just my body, but then also just like being a woman, like being born female, like my femaleness in the world and ways in which I had permission to express myself and a lack of permission to express myself. Um, I'm a highly sensitive person. I also have ADHD. So I'm neurodivergent. So there's a lot about the way I just naturally live and move through the world um, that didn't, inside of evangelical Christianity, there wasn't a place for me, um, both 
just personality traits and also like neurodivergence and um, just being highly sensitive. So I suffered a lot while I was in that world, but again, I didn't know that I was suffering. I just thought what I was experiencing was a result of me being sinful and not having enough space to fundamentally alter parts of my personality or like my brain chemistry. Like I thought I was failing at being a person and being the right kind of woman because I was just who I am. And then if you add on top of that all the complicated relationships to my sexuality, which is that it was a space where I felt secretly very free and connected to myself. But then there was so much shame because I felt free and connected to myself. And then when I started having partners at age 19 or 19, 20, I also didn't feel any shame, but I felt shame about the fact that I didn't feel any shame. So I was in this, this kind of something something adjacent to a spiral and also something that feels like a pinball for most of my life and just not really feeling settled in that religion even though I was so dedicated to that religion because I was desperate for it to work in all the ways that I felt like it wasn't working for me so Mm. all of that desperation led me to just like double down and double down and double down until I ended up in a cult in a Christian cult um, in England funnily enough, but, you know, I don't hold that against you guys. Um, I could have wound up in a cult anywhere. I just happened to move to England to join one. Um, and that was really, I mean, I had had experiences throughout my life. Anytime I did any sort of, like, mission trip or, um, like, specific, almost like vocational ministry, like, an attempt at vocational ministry, my body would get super sick. I got super ill. And I have chronic illness. I've had issues since quite literally the day I was born. Um, and so there was a lot I didn't under, again, I thought a lot of that was sin. I thought it was maybe the devil trying to keep me from my purpose in the world. And so I, I was in this cult in England and, um, was super sick the whole time, had a lot of just intuitive alarms going off about how it wasn't safe to be there. Um, but I was overriding all of them and that made me sicker. And so when I came back to the States to potentially apply to get a visa to go back there full time, it just happened to work out that they were really irresponsible with their money, and so they couldn't afford to bring me back. And so my whole life was just, it was like the rug of my life was pulled out from underneath me. It was like 10 years of aiming my life in this specific direction to be a worship leader and be a missionary. And I was this community of people that were forcing me to call them my family, like mom and dad. And so when that happened, all of my coping mechanisms throughout my entire life of how I treated my body, all of the, the ways in which, in which I tried to compensate for how bad my religious background had made me feel about myself and my body, and also just existing in patriarchy and capitalism and white supremacy and these really harmful systems, all came to a head in the summer of 2014. And it's not worth getting into, and it would possibly be triggering for some of your listeners to talk about how that resulted in how I lived in my body for about six months but it was very bad and I got to a point where I realized like something either had to change um like I either needed to live in my body in a different way somehow and I didn't know even know what that would mean or I couldn't be alive anymore because it wasn't sustainable to feel again my language now is like it was not sustainable to feel just separated from her to feel this hostile towards her all the time. Like, not just hostile, like, my default posture towards myself for all of my life up until my late 20s was rage, just rage in my own direction, because that's what I had been taught to do. So 
Mm. Um, fast forward to, I mean, I started started kind of learning how to take care of myself in various different ways, and some of that is stuff I go into in the book of like what my um, healing journey started to look like. But that ended up pointing me in the direction of like getting really curious about my own health in ways because I've been in physical pain literally my whole entire life, and so. Lo and behold, it turns out my digestive issues were at least somewhat not only related to trauma, but also related to some foods that I was allergic to but didn't know. So that got me really curious about how food can impact our bodies and potentially heal us and potentially um, also make us feel not so great. And so I got a coaching certification um, in like holistic health. So that started me off with like working with people and working with bodies. And then I only got a few clients with that. I actually was a really shitty health coach because I'm really good at being an embodiment coach. And so I couldn't just like talk to people about like diet plans, like meal plans and exercise regimens. I was like, what's the thing under the thing? Like, are you feeling like, what, what's the trauma there? But I didn't have any, I had very little knowledge or training in that. So I went back to school for two and a half years, um, quite honestly, just to study what had happened to me inside of religion and being taught in some purity culture and just a lot of that stuff that honestly the two and a half years of study culminated in the book that exists now, which looks at the traumatic impact of evangelical Christianity and how it influences us through our bodies. So quite honestly, I ended up writing the book, you know, writing a book in 2018 that I desperately needed in 2013, um, which I can imagine is something like, interesting for me to say to a writer like that you kind of have this like we often write the things that we needed to read that no one else is writing yeah absolutely yeah i mean i'm the book that i'm working on at the moment is definitely a book that i would have wanted to read i don't know back in 2015 2014 mm-hmm. 2015 yeah without a doubt yeah. you know i think it always yeah. i think it always works that way with 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 books when you're telling your story because you can't tell your story until the story is like that until that chapter of the story is done in a yeah. sense so I can't write about my journey of the last five years until that's that season is over because if you're you're writing in the midst of it you're not writing with the kind of you're writing with a different view you're, you're writing in the center of the storm you can't see mm-hmm. perspective so it's yeah. always so it's always going to be it's always like that I think with writing that you end up writing the book that you wish you could have read yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, it's, and it's a great book I've read your book it's really great um, thank you it's quite powerful yeah, it took a lot it took a lot to write that like not just time but mm. a lot of energy a lot of feeling um, I mean writing going back to school beginning that two and a half year long process is what got me not only back into therapy because what I was studying and experiencing internally was so triggering, but it's what got me into um, trauma therapy specifically, um, so EMDR specifically, um, which was just enormously helpful. And I don't, I couldn't have written the book without um, <laughs> without what EMDR did to me and did to my brain and my body in early. Yeah, it's it's really surreal when you hear when I hear your story because there's so much of it which is the same as mine in some ways, and especially the you know the recovery and everything. And you know, I've had to I've had to do EMDR therapy and IFS therapy and 
a lot of coaching and a lot of internal work to be able to get to this point and mm-hmm. it's and some of the some of the things that some of the things that I've been through are similar in, in you know purity culture and you know evangelical Christianity and, and religious certainty toxic religion you know all of that uh, yeah I'm being highly sensitive and just been diagnosed with well just my therapist just suggested to me that I might have ADHD as well so mm-hmm. um <laughs> <laughs> Which makes perfect sense, honestly. But God, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's 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 quite. It's I always feel a lot of empathy and solidarity when I when I hear your story because it's. Uh, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of, and I think a lot of people will as well. Actually, I think there's a lot of people who've been through the same. Yeah. Sadly. That's the thing I do hear from people, a lot, especially people who've read the book. Where even just today, actually, someone. Um, I mean, it's interesting. This is a great example. Um, and it wrote them. And it wrote them Twitter, which we like. We met on Twitter, so yeah, we did. Yeah, um, I think I saw that someone, as well. <laughs> someone said, "When you're reading, someone tweeted, when you're reading Jamie Lee book, you are your own.' And she references a Christian author's book about hell. And you remember the sermons you were there for, where the dude honed that story. I've never read anything that has been so close to my own early experiences." So that last sentence is the thing I do hear from people frequently, which is like, oh, my God, you said the thing. You talked about rapture anxiety. You referenced the weird lyrics to that weird song by Newsboys or something. I don't remember. But like, oh, yes. Yeah. So I wish we'd all been ready. You should talk Newsboys. I don't know. One of them. I'm glad I don't remember. But like the specific weird nuances of Christian culture. Um, and that, like, evangelical subculture that we existed in, that, like, I'm bringing, I'm just talking about, these are a normal part of my experience, and hearing from people who have read it, who are like, oh, my God, you mentioned that thing, is really, yeah, that's funny for me. It's fun. I enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice, isn't it, to find other people who have found the same freedom, because, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, that's what it is we found. It's, it's freedom. You don't realise just how bad this stuff is until you actually get free of it yeah. I, I definitely didn't I've talked about it on the show before yeah. Yeah, I didn't realise just how toxic what I was part of was until I actually left left it behind and started doing something different and mm-hmm. and, I, and and part of that actually and it's funny talking to you about it is with my body one of the biggest I've said this story so many times that when I went to my new spiritual community I, one of the, the, the biggest thing I noticed was I could physically breathe out for the first time in a spiritual community for years wow. yeah. and then I noticed it and the next time I went back to the church I was leaving I noticed it in my body that I was all bound up and physically tight and my chest was tight and everything yeah. uh, and I would not have noticed that if I hadn't tried out another community mm-hmm. and it's just mm-hmm. it's amazing how your body is always trying to tell you something yeah. And it knows yeah. what you need and what you want, <laughs> you know. Um, Isn't that so, Isn't it amazing how our bodies are always trying to tell us something? <laughs> yeah, it's great. When yeah. you learn how to, I mean, this is like, like I can tell people, like, when you learn to listen to your body, as Jamie helps people do, mm-hmm. it, it really is life-changing. It's suddenly you know yourself so much better and you can have healthy communication with yourself and make decisions from 
a really healthy place and actually be aware of what's really happening. Yeah, yeah. Mhm. Uh, yeah. So tell us a bit about this. This I just the idea of your body as a person and mm-hmm. having a relationship with your body. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> that's my favorite thing to talk about, and it's the main thing I talk about all of the time. Um, so it's it's the I would say it's, just, it's like the proprietary piece of um, I guess the proprietary kind of like lens through which I do my version of embodiment work because a lot of people have different takes on embodiment um, and whether it's like embodiment counseling, therapy, I'm a coach, I'm not a therapist or counselor. Um, so my embodiment coaching work probably touches on a lot of similar themes as other people would in talking about trauma and adaptive survival strategies and self-compassion. But the specific thing that, that brings this all together for me in a way that other forms of self-work or self-help just could never quite cut it for me is this idea that everything changes when you go from when you move from calling your body an it like everybody does like we've been trained to do and thinking that our body is just an object and an it when you move from calling your body an it to a he she they um using a personified pronoun and so therefore shifting from a perspective of your body being an object to some kind of personhood of your physical body and what that does, the difference that that creates is, number one, just like what you were just saying, is that our bodies are talking to us. What our bodies are doing, how our bodies are feeling is actually what our bodies are saying to us. And this is what the research tells us. This is what specifically folks who've researched trauma um, and folks who have researched and uh, kind of been able to communicate that there's all this that exists between the things that have happened to us and what, how our bodies express what they're expressing and how our bodies express what's happened to us. Um, this, this, I, what still kind of gets me a lot that I think is interesting is like, you'll read books where people are centering this reality that like, oh, our bodies are communicating with us and yet they'll still call our bodies it. And they're like, it is saying this or it is, is trying to tell you this thing. And it's, Still, there's something that we're still missing when we're calling our bodies it instead of calling our bodies a he or a she or they. And it's that this paradigm, this idea that like uh, it can communicate to us and with us is still not quite there. Like there's, now that I've been working with this framework of my body's a person and she's to me and I'm in relationship with her for like six years, it's actually really uncomfortable and like bizarre. It like lands really weirdly when I'm reading through books where people are talking about embodiment or trauma and they call the body an it. Like, I, my world is just so shifted in this way where I'm, like, so used to bodies being he, she, and they that it's, like, it's, like, jolts me when I see someone talk about my body being an it or bodies being an it. Because we don't have a framework for what communication with inanimate objects looks like. We don't. But we do have not just a framework and an understanding, but even an entire industry of therapy based upon what communication looks like between two people. And so we've got all of these skills in, like, relationship therapy that are the same skills that we need in learning how to communicate with our physical bodies and learning how to speak the language that our bodies are speaking, how to listen to what they're saying, how to actually correctly interpret what our bodies are telling us at any given moment. 
but we don't know that we should or yeah, I don't like the word should. We don't know that we can or that we have an opportunity to use those skills, like listening and compassion and compassion instead of um, shame or uh, curiosity instead of control or hostility in communication. We don't really have any framework or grid that like those tools in the direction of ourselves are useful and helpful and good because we don't have a framework that we're speaking to a person when we're, when we're trying to listen to and communicate with our body. We're just thinking our body isn't it, is a machine, is a vessel. Now, the reason why this matters so much that we shift and we reclaim the sense of personhood um, back from this kind of mechanized, objectified framework is because not only is it true that trauma comes to us and body separated, body dissociated experiences come to us by way of direct lived personal experience, but also we are separated from our bodies and our bodies are objectified unto us through the still existence in complex oppressive systems like capitalism, white supremacy, patriarchy, authoritarian religion, fundamentalist religion, like evangelical Christianity in my experience, um, and things like ableism and diet culture. If you start paying attention, you realize that all of these systems that have organized our world and kind of demand our adherence to the principles they give us um, objectify bodies and therefore value and measure bodies through these ideas like capitalism, for example, a physical body is a machine that is valued by its output. So when we get sick, when we are overworked and our bodies are exhausted and they start to break down because they are exhausted and they're trying to tell us compassionately, I say in the work I do, you've heard me do this, a loud body is a kind body. What these oppressive systems want us to think is that actually there's nothing wrong with the world. The systems are fine. It's your body that's the problem. The machine of your body, the vessel, the it, the object of your body is breaking down, and that's your fault. In fact, that's their fault. Get hostile in their direction. Blame your body. And then also buy all this stuff to make your body better. So you're, again, you're, it's per, capitalism is perpetuating itself by us ignoring in the first place that our bodies are people at all. And instead, it's this idea, we're raised to believe that our bodies are objects and machines that just are, are not functioning in the way they, quote, should be. So redirecting, like shifting this paradigm from, wait a minute, my body's not an object, she's a person, and she's tired. And she's trying to tell me something about why she's tired. That helps us to not only start to be more compassionate to ourselves, but it, it helps us develop a critical lens in seeing these complex systems. Because we start to see, it's not my body's fault to tell fucking capitalism's fault. <laughs> the world should not be this way. The world should not be this way where white supremacy tells us that white and white passing bodies have more value and worth and therefore are deserving of being kept safe more so than black and brown bodies. That's an incorrect measure. And so, unfortunately, these, again, existing inside of these systems, having to survive inside of these systems, have convinced us that we're just getting it wrong. We just somehow are not, our bodies are, are not successful in being the right kind of machine. When in reality, if we listen to our bodies and tune into our bodies, they don't just want to talk to us about how to heal from our personal experiences of trauma. Of course, they do. They do want to do that. But our bodies have more to say about existing inside of these oppressive systems 
that we this 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 sounds it, I hate the way this sounds like I say it this way, but I don't know how else to say it. The systems don't want us to hear our bodies. They don't. The systems benefit from us believing that our bodies are objects and that it's just our body's fault. But our bodies know better. Um, and so that's something I'm really passionate about in this work too, in the centering of the personhood. Um, you see, unfortunately, in a lot of spaces of like embodiment or self-help or self-work um, are uh, usually done inside of, you see, you see a lot of people doing this kind of work of like reclaiming agency and being connected to your body through this idea of feeling from direct lived experiences that have been difficult. But you mostly see a lot of white people pushing that narrative and white passing people who are not aware that they need to um, develop a wider lens and learn more and do better. I didn't for many years until about two or three years ago. And I was like, no, 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 there's more to this. Our existence inside of these systems is also violent. There is trauma in the world. There's trauma that comes to us by way of existing in a white supremacist society and existing in a patriarchal society and existing in a capitalist society. So these... I, the reason why I come to the person of the body goes along with the fact that I take these two simultaneous approaches. Like, just, yeah, I want to hear about what happened to you, your childhood trauma, your direct personal experience trauma. But we also have to talk about how your ethnicity in the world, your race, your gender, your sexuality, your sexual orientation, your presentation in the world where you live, how that's also impacting what your body is trying to tell you about what's hurting them. Yeah, it's incredible, really. How one of the things that I learned when working with you is, is how this this is all connected. It's all connected. This whole thing, mm-hmm. the, the, you know, right? It's not toxic religion. It's just one element of it. Yeah. And it's just the whole system, which, yeah, like you say, tell us tells us that our bodies are objects, and that there's something wrong with us if we don't fit the standard. Mm-hmm. You know, and the standard would be probably white, slim, you know, um, healthy. I mean, what people call, people call healthy, you know, athletic, able-bodied or able-bodied passing. Oh yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, all of proximity that. Proximity to maleness is usually a thing that's yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's all it's it's all connected, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, the system is wrong. It's just it's just wrong, flawed, whatever, mm-hmm. needs to be replaced. And, um, and it's interesting you say that, too, because uh, one of the things you said just a minute ago, because this is, a, this is something that's a testament to the, a product of my privilege and my advantage, is that in the early years of me doing this work, I truly thought it was just authoritarian religion that was the culprit of separating us from ourselves. But that's because I'm a white woman. And I am not fully able-bodied, but I have secret illness, I have chronic illness, I have invisible illness, and so I have a measure of currency by being able-bodied passing in the world that unfortunately, fortunately, unfortunately, however you want to look at it or slice it, uh, well, I would say in this situation, unfortunately, gave me uh, a vantage point where I didn't have to be critical until I learned that I needed to be critical yeah. of these systems I was benefiting from. I was deeply aware of how my religious, the religion of my youth had harmed me. But I was less aware of how a white person existing in white supremacy had also harmed me and everyone else. So I needed to, in the early stages of me doing this coaching work, 
I was very focused on, oh, it's direct, it's laughable to me now, but I was like, oh, it's direct lived experience of trauma and also evangelical Christianity. That's it. And it's like the more work I did and the more I learned and the more I was educated uh, through predominantly learning things on Twitter, honestly, I was like, oh, holy shit, that's a massive oversight that is directly related to my own privilege and my own advantage. Like, I can comment all day long about how patriarchy and organized religion, or authoritarian religion, have harmed me, but that's because those are the ones that obviously and overtly harmed me. So I had to do a lot of really important work to see, like, no, 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 there's multiple complex systems that are at work that have taught us really dangerous, violent things about our bodies and other people's bodies that we all need to unlearn. It's not just that it came from this one source of evangelical Christianity. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it is... It is transformational when you start listening to your bodies. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I remember doing some um, IFS therapy last last week and, mm-hmm. and I was talking to a part of my brain which is part of my body mm-hmm. and we were having a conversation and doing some healing work which was quite powerful and I, I remember noticing while I was doing this that I was crying that the, the tears were coming out you know it was and I wasn't emotional or sad or upset or anything in myself. It was just that my body was crying because I was finally doing this work with this part of my body which had been neglected and hadn't I hadn't spoken to before or for twenty years. Yeah. And still thought I was a teenager, you know, <laughs> so thirty yeah. years. Um, yeah. You know, and that's what happens when we talk to our bodies. It, you know, that's. I've always wondered about before I did work with you that like, where how our bodies weep, like we sometimes we just weep involuntarily, and mm-hmm. now I understand what that is. It's it's our bodies are weeping, and because something's going on inside of us that mm-hmm. needs expression. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, it's a really beautiful thing when it happens, and. It's hard work. I will say this, having, having now done doing this work with you, it's hard work yeah. to maintain that, yeah. to like list, to keep listening, and then mm-hmm. and also it's not always easy to do the work that your body wants you to do. I, mm-hmm. I I struggle with this a lot. That I know what my body is telling me to do and wants me to do, but I'm not. But often I don't do it, and because. And I'm, part of my journey is now figuring out why that is and right. overcoming that because often our conscious self is at odds with our body which is mm-hmm. essentially our true self or our best self or our subconscious self our intuition all of that and and yeah uh, it's work but it's worth it yeah well and that's why the relational framing can be really helpful too and just was so helpful for me and kind of made everything finally click for me is again we have our, if our bodies are people that means they're not projects and so that means that we're not trying to just fix something in our functioning um, so that we can check a box of like cool I did that self work and now I'm moving beyond it um, 
because that, I mean, number one, that invites so much shame into our relationship to ourselves, and we feel like we haven't done the work or checked the box, um, which that's kind of a trap, because being in this kind of relationship to our bodies is a lifelong process, which is why I call it a relationship, because like in any relationship with an external person, whether it's a romantic partner or a friend or a sibling or a fam- another family member, there is an understanding that you don't arrive anywhere in good communication or in successful communication with that person. You're constantly learning how to communicate compassionately, how to communicate curiously. You're also constantly learning new things about that person. And it is work, but it's the kind of work that's the difference between clocking in at a job that you hate and and sitting down and doing work that you love. It's all it's still work. I think at one point I described it like it's the difference between swimming upstream and swimming downstream. You're still swimming. You're still exerting energy. You're still doing the work. But in one of those contexts, in the swimming upstream, um, it, I mean, it feels like work. It feels like you're exerting a lot. And then in the other, you're still swimming. You're not necessarily just being carried by the current, but you're moving in the flow of, of what's supporting you. And so my relationship with my body is going to be some form of work for the rest of my life it's probably not going to feel like work, like arduous, like an arduous task every <laughs> single day because I love her and I love being in a relationship with her. But honestly, most days at this point, I just feel like, oh, she's just, I just have the presence of this person that I love. And she's always there to see, always ready to communicate to me things that I might need to know. Now, this also doesn't mean that everything she tells me is 100% true all the time because my body also has trauma. And so my body, like you were saying before, you're like, oh, a 15-year-old in me is trying to tell me stuff. Yeah, because there's something unresolved for younger you. That's why I also love internal family just so much. Like, there's something unresolved there, and my body is trying to tell me how to meet needs that had gone previously unmet. So my body's working with past information in a present circumstance. So that's why we need to learn how to enter into a flow of communication with one another so that I can remind her really gently and compassionately, oh, this isn't 2001 anymore. You're not 14 years old. You don't need to be afraid of that thing, but I hear you since you've been telling me I love you. But I am going to, because of my love for you, I would like to gently invite you into 2020 and realize, like, it's you and me now. It's not you and your mom anymore. It's not you and that abuser anymore. It's not you inside of that Christian world anymore. It's you and me and I've got you. So there's so much that I think this is like, a, like it becomes so much more possible when we think about our bodies being people that we're in relationship with than being projects that we're trying to like fix or complete. Oh, or even use, we often use the word feel and that can sometimes be a really ableist way of, of thinking of being in a relationship with our bodies. Um, but I don't need to go down that rabbit hole right now either because I know we're short on time and I can ramble about this forever. But yeah, there's something very significant about the relational framing insinuating that like, oh, she's a person I'm, I will be getting to know for the rest of my life and learning how to communicate with for the rest of my life. As opposed to if my body is an it or an object, that means my body is just a project that I'm here to like figure out how to complete in a certain time frame. And that, again, you get into a whole lot of problems, particularly same when you think about it that way. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, okay, just to, just to end, what is the first step that somebody can do, that they can take, 
to start to build a healthy relationship with their body. Mm-hmm. It's the first basic step that somebody who's not not been doing it can can can, can do. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that question because I feel like I have like the, the simplest answer and like the greatest answer in the world to that question um, because it is a very simple, seemingly simple shift, but it 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 can and often does change so much. It's actually enormous, um, and it's kind of built into everything I talk about, which is like start calling your body if you fear this. Check in, see which which pronoun. Which personified pronoun. I also have clients who like switch back and forth between like gendered pronouns. I have clients who even on they them because they feel like they're they might have a gender but their body doesn't have a specific gender. Um, but just in any context, retiring your use of the word it in the direction of your physical body, anytime you're talking about your body, anytime you're talking about, oh, my body feels this way, it telling me or it feeling this or I'm feeling this happen in in my body and it stuff a thought like anytime like just starting to test when you your kind of deep programming of being of calling yourself an it and calling your body an it and beginning to gently over time it's not going to change overnight but trading out the word it for a personified burnout of your choice and then that, because that's going to already start kind of shifting your perspective in the direction of your own self and thinking, oh, wait, I'm talking about a person. So previously, when you're just mindlessly using the word it, you're thinking I'm talking about an object. But now going from my body feels this way, it is telling me to slow down. My body feels tired, it's telling me to slow down. If my body feels tired, she's telling me to slow down. There's something that clicks into place when we think about what it's like to communicate with a person. What do we do when someone, someone, when a she is telling me something that she wants me to know? We lean into that. We open up to that. If it's someone we love, we communicate through that. So that is a very, I've had people hear me talk about this on podcasts before or just see me tweet about this who have told me I started doing that. I started using that one thing. I did that one shift and it's changed so much else in all these other areas that I relate to my body. So that, I mean, that's probably the biggest passion at all. Like I'm creating an online course and I'm doing, you know, my coaching work to tell people why it matters and to get people started in that process. But my like biggest passion in this world is like seeing a world that exists where none of, nobody's calling a body an it ever again. Mm, So that's what I I have a very clear vision of what I want to see in the world. Yeah, it's fantastic. And this has been such a great conversation. Um, It really has. Um, yeah, I wish we had more time. Kind of my fault. I came on late, but um, you know, we could, you we could make this like a three-hour-long podcast if, if nobody. <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah, and I think you'll. I think we'll have you back a few times. Maybe mm-hmm. that'd be a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's all. It would be. It would be cool to because I'm in the early stages of like making this course and. So I'm even aware that there's a lot I'm going to learn in the next, like, four months because I'm aiming for the course to, to launch and be open for folks to, to enroll in it in November. Um, so even I'm totally anticipating podcasts that I'm doing now or have in the last year or two are going to be totally different than a lot of the stuff I'll be saying in October and November because I'm just going to know so much more. Yeah, we'll definitely um, have you back on then. So that might be a good time for a, for a round two. Yeah, well, I'll put that in. <laughs> And where can yeah. people find your work? Just, um, just to end. Mm-hmm. Um, well, my website is Um 
and there's not I've got to I've got to redo it. There's not a whole lot happening over there right now. There's a guided meditation. There's some information about what I do, what I believe. There's some links to some podcasts. But most recently, I launched a membership space um, through Podia. And so that, I believe, the website is, yeah, it's jamielicence.podia, P-O-D-I-A dot com. Um, and there's a whole community of people there. We do, like, monthly Zoom calls together, talk about certain topics. Um, there's weekly posts in there from me with, like, prompts towards um, focusing on the person of your body, being in connection, communication with the person of your body. And it's a sliding scale membership between $10 and $20 a month. Um, and it's all the same access for whatever price point you choose. Um, and it's, it's been a really cool way to functionally establish real community in an online space in a way that years of me trying to do that via social media, Twitter, and Instagram, like, wasn't really working. It wasn't facilitating well. So, um, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I will probably, if you want to engage more, because I don't engage a whole lot on those on those social media sites, I'll probably just point you in the direction of the podium space because it's been there's about I mean about 160 people in there, and so it's just really great yeah. discussions and it's great. It. You're a part of it. I am. I am, and I can recommend it to everyone. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. It really is. Yeah. So um, go and go and join, and uh, we'll see you there. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and uh, thank you, Jamie, for coming on. Thank you, Dave. Thanks and for asking to do this. This has been so fun. I really, like I said before, I really love seeing you in your element and doing what you're here to do. And this is really cool, and I can't wait to do it again. Yeah, me too. So um, mm-hmm. take care, everyone, and thanks for listening.